Good morning, everybody. I am so glad you're here. If we haven't met before, my name's Rob Jacobson, and I would like to know by a show of hands today, this is an easy participation idea, so by a show of hands, how many of you are I read the instructions first people? All right, all right. Now, how many of you are like I read the instructions as a last resort? All right, thank you. And then there's some liars or some people who are like, I'm in between. I don't, and then I decide halfway, and then I, yeah, whatever. Well, I, you know, would love to say I'm a read instructions first type of person, but the fact of the matter is I'm a last resort guy. Case in point, there is a tree in our backyard that's about six or seven feet high. I think it's a silver maple, thanks, Dad. And it's about an inch and a half in diameter. And this thing, like, looks healthy, but it's right next to this brick landscape thing, and it's sort of too close to this other tree. So I'm like, and my wife's like, just cut it out. And I'm like, you death person. We are going to save this tree. We're going to transplant it over here, and it's going to provide shade for years, and I'm going to get to hang my hammock up. Sorry. So I remember I know how to transplant plants, so how different can trees be, right? So the first thing I do is I remember from a friend that, you know, the tree, the branches at the bottom, they stunt the growth of the tree. You cut those things off so that it can grow tall. So I cut those off, but don't worry, I know it's spring. So I spray paint all the places I cut black so that those would just be sealed up. I mean, I'm not realizing how much stress I'm adding to the tree. And then I dig it out, giving generous room for the root system, except it was right by the brick. So one part was not able to be generous. So I'm digging it out and digging it out, and this one thick root, this really good root that I want to try and save is wrapped around another root, and I can't get it out. And so um, I shake off all the dirt to make sure I can see the rest of the roots to see how many good ones there are. And if there's enough good ones, then I just end up hacking off the good root because, well, I was just kind of getting tired of continuing to work on it. So then I set the tree down and walk over. Granted, it's a bright, sunny day. Go over and walk to the place I want to, you know, put it in. And I cut that, you know, dig that out, put about the same size hole, put it on a tarp so that I don't have dirt all over my lawn. See, I I know a few things. And so then I, it takes me 10 or 15 minutes to do that. My neighbor says hi, asks if I'm planting a tree. And I'm like, yeah, I think I'm going to put it here. And I go grab it set it down in the, in the spot, and it kind of can't fit because of this one root, so I'm just kind of shoving, and I'm digging, and anyway, I just kind of fit it in, and however, which way it will go, and then put the dirt over it, you know, gently. Don't want to smash those roots, because I don't want to kill this tree. I think it's very alive, and then I put the grass over top of it, and then to make sure that the dirt and the grass, they get you know, surround the root system. I just water like a whole can on that tree, make sure it's all nice and moist. And then I even put up ropes to make sure it doesn't fall over. And I think, yes, man, this tree is just going to make it. And so then I decide that maybe I should go inside and just read about transplanting trees, right? (laughs) Right? Just to see if I've done anything right. And if you've transplanted trees before, you know I've done about three things to absolutely ensure it's a death. Uh, just for your benefit, number one, uh, do not add unnecessary stress to the tree by cutting off branches right before you transplant it. It's not good. Number two, never under any circumstances 
shake all the dirt off the roots. If the roots are exposed for any length of time, they pretty much dry out instantly and it ensures death. And number three, if you do move a tree, you should ensure whatever way it's rotated towards the sun, you should keep that same rotation. And so then it goes in. So uh, maybe we'll be able to see my tree here. You can see that on the top of the tree, that first third, that's all black leaves. Um, I don't think it's going to make it. I, I called the landscape company and they're like, well, you never know. You might want to just keep, don't water it too much. And, and you kept it in the same, and um, no, I didn't do that. Well, maybe you could just sing to it or speak. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not going to sing to my tree. I know. And I tell you that story, not just to get a few laughs, but because my tree transplants tragedy really is the way that I viewed sharing my faith with other people for a number of years. I thought this, that if I do something wrong, I'm going to kill this person. And God showed me this other image from the Bible that's been so much more helpful. And if you're a person who feels a little dried up and cut off from, from life or from others or even from faith, there is truth and hope for you too. So the first image comes to us from the clearest image from being dried up and cut off comes from this passage, this experience that this prophet Ezekiel has. I'm just going to put the the text on the screen so you can follow along with me because we're going to be going to Acts in a second. But in this scene in Ezekiel, somewhat like my tree, it says that God gives Ezekiel this vision. He says, God took a hold of me. I'm watching him, and I'm carried away by the Spirit over to this valley that's filled with these dry bones. And he leads me around the valley, and it's all, all covered in dried up, cut off bones, all scattered all over the ground. They're scattered everywhere on the gown. They're completely dried out. And then he says, son of man, like you human one, can these bones become living people? And I appreciate Ezekiel's faith, because I don't think I would say this. He goes, oh, sovereign Lord, like, powerful Lord, only you know. It's a pretty good answer. And he says, well, why don't you speak a prophetic message to the bones and say, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now, I want you to picture, because it might be fun, picture a valley of dried up bones. Now, how many of you would, like, bones, hear the word of the Lord and live I wouldn't do it either. But that's what God tells Ezekiel. Something that looks completely dead isn't always dead. Especially if God tells you to speak to it. Especially if his spirit comes into it. And really, this whole point, and the reason why I say it, is because what God says to this old person that seems kind of far out there, Ezekiel, is that these dried up, cut off people, or cut off bones, represent God's people. Not some strangers, like the people of God who have rebelled against God, who have sinned, and who now live in this place of exile. So the bones are really a picture of people. So now I'll ask you, because I felt like God asked me this, so would you speak words of hope and words of life to a dried up, dried up, cut off person? I mean, what do you think it feels like to be dried up? What phrases come to your mind when you hear the word dried up? 
You can play if you want. It's all right. Fragile. Broken. Old. I had that one too. Weak. Kind of used up, right? A couple of things I thought of is I had the life sucked out of me. Or expended or discarded. When something is used up, it's probably time to throw it away. So what do you picture when you hear the word cut off? Crazy aunt. That must be through a conversation, or is there, is there in prison? Oh, oh yeah, oh, alienated. Ah, that's even better. That's much less violent than mine. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Anybody else? Cut off? What? Separated? Ostracized? Pain? Isolated? Nobody thought of interstate driving. I'm so proud of you guys. I immediately went to like, ah. Like there's this diminishment. There's this loss of dignity and this loss of relationship, right? Yeah, so... Now, all of a sudden, that valley of dry bones that seems super peculiar is very relatable. And it's not just for some strange old passage. Like, I think there's a lot of times where you and I, and I I bet a lot of people that live out there in the world and may not come to church feel dried up and cut off. And so what God is saying to Ezekiel is that people who feel dried up and cut off, they need words of life spoken to them. And fortunately, God gives us two events here in Acts chapter 8 that offer help to those of us who feel scared or worried about sharing our faith, and they offer hope to those of us who feel dried up and cut off. So if you have a Bible or would like one, you can raise your hand and someone will bring you one. In Acts chapter 8, we find the word of God for us today. It says that on that day, this day that Stephen got stoned, we talked about that last week, this persecution broke out against the church, and all except the apostles, those 12 that are kind of chosen, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Skip down to verse 4. But those who had been scattered, they spoke the word, or they preached the word wherever they went. See, Philip went down to Samaria, and he proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip, And saw the signs he performed, they paid close attention to what he said. For shrieks, for with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was great joy in that city. All of a sudden, what Philip is doing sounds a whole lot like what the twelve were doing and what Jesus was doing. And he's definitely second string. But Verse 9, now, a man for, now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in that city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, they were baptized both men and women. And Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles. 
When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone I lay my hands on might receive the Spirit. And Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part in this ministry because your heart is not right with God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in his hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. And then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Kind of an interesting and long chunk of scripture there. But in this episode, we've heard, I've, I've heard at least, people say, you know, wow, why, why did people believe in Jesus and then receive the Spirit later? Is that something that always happens? You know, are we supposed to receive the Spirit second? Or, gosh, Peter sure has a harsh answer. I think in one translation it says, you know, to hell with you and your money. So what exactly is going on in this and how does it relate to us in terms of hope for cut off and dried up people. Well, you have to remember the very first phrase of this episode. When Philip was scattered, he went to Samaria. When the people of Jesus think about going and talking to others about their faith, one of the last places they think of going to is Samaria. This story is so much more about the church in Jerusalem recognizing, accepting, and blessing the people in Samaria with the laying on of hands to receive the Spirit than it is about some separation between knowing Jesus and then receiving the Spirit later. Because these people in Samaria, they are the most cut-off people that you can imagine. These are people that um, when... God's people came out of Egypt with Moses. They came into the promised land. And then once in the promised land, God helped them receive that whole land. And they wanted a king. And there's a lot of stories behind that. The point is that they started, instead of blessing the rest of the world, which God wanted them to do, they're like, no, I think we'll just keep our relationship with you, God, to ourselves. And, oh, wait, well, maybe we'll take from that nation over here how they practice and worship this God, maybe we'll do that too, and oh, that God seems cool, so we'll start working on that God. And all of a sudden, because of this rebellion, because they didn't keep that relationship to God, to God exclusive, and yet still bless the people, God says, I'm sending you into exile. And so when they went into exile, God's people, most of them went with. Some stayed. The people who stayed ended up intermarrying with the oppressing nation, and they, so they considered these people half-breeds or people that weren't good enough to just stay Jewish, and so they called them the Samaritans, and they said it with spite and hatred. When Jesus comes on the scene in his ministry, everybody else would go around Samaria to get to the other lands. Well, Jesus went through one time, and his disciples are like, what are you doing? These are not people that we would associate with. 
Jesus goes to a well and has a conversation with a woman, not something a Jewish man would do. And yet he reveals for the first time in his ministry that he's the Messiah to that woman. A little bit later, we've got the reference on the screen in Luke 9. Jesus is going back towards Jerusalem. He knows he's going to be crucified. It's a long journey, and so they stop in Samaria. He tells his disciples to go on ahead and to go into this village and for them to welcome him so he can stay for the night. And the Samaritans find out he's going to Jerusalem, and they say, no way, we don't want you. They are equally distant. And John, in his zeal, says to Jesus, do you want me to call down fire from heaven so you can roast that city? This is not about just unfamiliar people. This is about people to whom we feel animosity. And yet Philip goes to this place and he shares about Jesus and he's not weirded out by their sorcery because this sorcery idea is really doesn't have to look weird. Sorcery or magic could just be seen as people who are satisfied with being, being spiritually entertained. Or people who are willing to take spiritual shortcuts. Because when you think about magic and sorcery, that's really what it is. It's about being supernaturally entertained or taking spiritual shortcuts. And all of a sudden, I'm completely convicted because it's so easy to take supernatural shortcuts. Peter just says, hey, this is who Jesus is. And these people say, thank you. There's a great joy in the city. All of a sudden they realize that they're not so far away and they're not so cut off. And when Simon believes... He's still taking spiritual shortcuts. He thinks that he can buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Peter does say, you belong in hell. And so does your money if you think you can buy the Spirit. The Spirit is a gift, which means it's free. It means you can't buy it. You've just got to surrender to it. And when you do, God will do amazing things with your life. It makes us stop and think about if we feel dry and cut off, Is it because we are making choices about spiritual shortcuts or about spiritual entertainment? And it's not to make you feel guilty. It's just to say, what have I done to dry myself out? But I think what it also says is when you say, no, 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 I willingly want my heart right with God. I mean, Simon sincerely, I think sincerely says, pray that this would not happen to me. He's, he's having this change of heart. And when you have a change of heart and when you see the Spirit as a gift and you surrender to it, amazing things can happen. The very next story says that, that Philip hears from God that he's supposed to go south, south down this road that's a deserted road. It says desert road. It could be deserted road. So go from this place of popularity where you've been making Jesus' name great and go down and we're going to find out to one person. Now, I think Philip does this because Philip isn't in the business of Jesus because he wants to be liked. If you have trouble sharing your faith, it might be because you like being liked. But Philip goes because God tells him to. Because he's not afraid to say, hey God, 
I'm willing to be used. You want me to be a teacher and a trailblazer? I will do it. The apostles don't do it. They become kind of second people, but Philip goes forward, and he meets this very, very cut-off person. He starts down the road, and on his way, he meets an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go by that chariot and stay near it. If you caught some of those descriptions, you'll know just how different Philip is from this Ethiopian person. So first of all, I think Philip sees someone that's a different race than him. Ethiopia is at the very, very north end, well, south on the map, but on the top side of the Nile River, so south of Egypt, not a place where most Jews go. So likely he's a different race if he looks like most of the people in Africa. He's also got a very different socioeconomic status than Philip. First of all, he's very important. He's in charge of the queen's treasury. He's very wealthy if he's traveling by chariot. Most people traveled by foot. And he's very educated because he's reading himself. Most people were not taught to read. They were smart. They were, they were taught to memorize, but they did not have access to books. This probably would have been a scroll that would have been part of the book of Isaiah. And he has a very different family status than Philip. We find out later in the story in Acts 21 that Philip has four daughters. And we find out this man is a eunuch. Cut off. And yet... These things don't stop Philip from talking to him because they have two things that they have in common. One, that they went to Jerusalem to worship God. And two, that they both are interested in the prophecies of God. He just happens to be reading one. God says, go stay near it. And he does. He does. He asks what he's reading. And the man, and he start a conversation that talk about the hope of Jesus and the prophecies of God. And what we see in this is the that the Ethiopian eunuch it wants his heart right with God, probably has his heart right with God, and says, what's going to stop me from being baptized, from joining and jumping into the movement of God? And there's probably a legitimate thing there. He probably went to worship, and the church, the religious institution, likely denied him entrance in, because foreigners and eunuchs were not really allowed in the inner circle. Now, Philip doesn't have an inner circle. He doesn't see circles or lines or boundaries. He just listens to God. And someone who is so very, very far out, all of a sudden has a chance to come in. Someone who has been physically, um, probably racially profiled, but completely far out, says, what can stop me from jumping into the movement of God? It is an amazing question that I pray each and every one of you have the chance to have someone ask you that. It is the coolest thing in the world to be sitting with someone who never thought that the love and the power of God could come into their life and they say, what could stop me 
from joining? What could stop me from entering? We find out Philip baptizes him. See, Philip understood enough of God's story that the prophet who's reading this this section of scripture that we read here, um, verse 32, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter as a lamb before its shears is silent. He did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? And it says that Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. See, Isaiah didn't have this telescope into the future that just shined on Jesus. You know, sometimes we joke around in church like, what is gray and furry and has a big bushy tail? And the Sunday school kid says, well, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sounds like a squirrel. You know, like, they didn't have this, this telescope that said, ah, the answer is Jesus. But as Isaiah is having this moment with God, this meditation with God about, you know, the plight of Israel, the nation of God's people being in exile, he starts to see some things come clear. That maybe how Israel is going to be saved is not because the nation is going to start doing things right, but maybe because one person is going to represent this nation and do for it what it cannot do for itself. Philip knows enough of the story to say, I think what Isaiah is talking about is he's talking about a person who's going to come and he's going to represent that nation. A servant that would be mighty but suffer who would accomplish God's will and it would rescue, you know, this person would rescue our people, God's people, and not just the nation of Israel, all of God's people. Because you see here, and he starts going down the scroll. Do you see here in the next chapter? It talks about how this person is gonna start a new covenant with God, a new sacred promise with God. And do you see here in the next chapter, it's gonna talk about this new creation that's gonna happen. And in the next chapter, look at this new creation. Even Isaiah 56, even outsiders and foreigners, and look here, even eunuchs are going to get to enter. Man, if you told the story like that, I bet all kinds of people would want to join. And that's what Philip does. This picture starts to form of someone who comes in the person of Jesus to represent Israel, to bear the shame of of Israel's sin, but also bear the weight of the world's wickedness and to give his life so the promises could be fulfilled, the things that God had always hoped and wanted, that it wouldn't just bless this one people, but it would start to bless the entire world. And I imagine, Philip says, do you see that? It's not complete yet, but we know it started with Jesus and everything changed. What can keep you from being baptized? Nothing. Let's go down into the water. And Philip goes into the water and baptizes him. And the story says that then all of a sudden the, the eunuch went away rejoicing, but Philip is whisked by the spirit away. It's not magic. The writer wants us to connect the story of Philip to the story of Ezekiel how the spirit was whisked away and all of a sudden dry bones hear the word of the Lord and live because people that are cut off and dried up like the eunuch or like Simon the sorcerer, 
they don't hear the word of the Lord unless someone comes and brings it to them. But when they do, life springs up. Amen. And so, you can't stop seeing this tree as something that's living. I knew that this tree wasn't going to make it next to my bricks. It was going to have to come out. Now, next time, I'm going to try and take some words like Philip and, and maybe, you know, Gertens or Home Depot or wherever and do the things right to see that live. But we can't be afraid of sharing our faith if we know Jesus. We can't be scared that we're going to be called weird because there are some weird things that happened here and, and there are some great things that happened here. Can't be afraid to be rejected because if this story tells us anything, it tells us that if you are seeking to have your heart right with God, God will stop at nothing to see you come in. Nothing. If you feel cut off or dried up, God is saying you can enter because of Jesus. And if you're someone who has a faith in Jesus, then the story tells us that we need to share our faith in Jesus. I even put it on a slide so it would seem more important. God wants us to share our faith. We don't have to be preachy, just genuine. doesn't matter how unfamiliar the other person is, or how weird it might feel. And by the way, Philip tells us, if he tells us anything, you don't have to have a special calling from God to share your faith. You don't need specific training, you know, kind of like my tree transplanting. It does help. But you certainly don't need a certain degree. Actually, sometimes that gets in the way. And you don't need to have a certain or pr- powerful personality. You simply need to believe that Jesus is still alive because he is and that you're connected to him. And then we just look for opportunities. In fact, um, a couple of people that I really, really look up to, and I've done it before, and I'm ashamed to say I wish I'd do it every day, but I'm taking this challenge that two, two people that I extremely, extremely look up to said every day, they just say, Holy Spirit, I invite you to work in and through my life today. I want you to show me opportunities to honor you and share hope, my hope in you with others. If you've never prayed that prayer and you know and love Jesus, I challenge you to pray that prayer. Holy Spirit, I invite you to work in and through my life today that you would show me opportunities to honor you and share my hope in you with others. Now, I would encourage you to you know, pray that for 90 days, just like we're doing this tithe challenge. The tithe challenge isn't really about money. It's about inviting you to risk your faith and your finances. Do it for 90 days because it's about six paychecks. You know, if, if 90 days seems too long to pray this prayer, then what I would encourage you to do is, okay, so is 30 days. Can you pray this prayer for 30 days? Can't pray for 30 days? How about a week? That's seven days. Come on, I think any of us could do it for seven days. If we can do six paychecks, we can do seven days of saying, Holy Spirit, I invite you to work in and through my life. Show me where I can honor you and how I can share my hope in you with others. This this tithe challenge 
again, is about this idea of testing our faith to see if God will come through. If you're not sure what it looks like, it looks like I'll just challenge you to say, I'm going to take my 2015 tax return, see what I made. If I'm married, we're going to look at the statement together. We're going to find out what 10% of that number is, and we're going to commit to giving 10% for three months. If you have another church because you're just visiting today, you can go do it there. It's not about the money. If you're like, I sometimes give to this mission organization in here, we're not telling you to change it. We're just telling you to look at the numbers, test your faith, see what you can do, and to jump at it because I promise you, God wants to work in your life, wants you to believe that he is enough all the time. If you have questions about it, um, about the process, we have it on our website. If you're like, I just can't do this, and this is why, there's a card in your worship folder. Take the card out. You can even write, like, I can't do this because I have this question. You can do that right now, by the way. Take your card out. Um, Along with the tithe challenge, pray this prayer. This is my challenge to you, because I think this is what God shows us. To ask the Holy Spirit to work in your life every day, every moment. Because, see, Philip wasn't afraid to speak words of life to people who didn't fit in their religious circle, people who are dried up and cut off, but he does, and they become alive with Jesus and connected to the church. There's great rejoicing because dead things became alive. Maybe your faith feels a little dead right now. Challenge you to pray the prayer with finances and with sharing, and you'll start to see it come alive. So, um, our worship band's going to come up right now. I encourage you to take out that card. We're not going to make you come forward. Um, we're going we're gonna to pass the offering bags right now. But it's a chance for you to participate in offering. Yes, Don talked about it. But it's also a chance for you to look at that card. And you've had a few weeks. If you haven't had enough time, you can sign up later. But again, the goal is 90 days. But look at the card. We're not asking you to write an amount out. We don't that's between you and God. Our finance team isn't going to go, oh, look, the Andersons used to give and now they're giving. No. You put your name down because there's something powerful about writing it and then checking a box that says, I'm going to do this. We'll trust you and God to have the conversation beyond that. And again, you do it, God doesn't come through, come talk to me. I'll give you your money back. I'll have a leadership team person there to know we're legit. But do you trust God to do what he says he's going to do? You pray with me? God, I thank you that your word speaks to us, whether we're dried up and cut off or whether we're alive with you and, and scared to trust you, even to, to obey you when it could result in amazing things. Whether it's things that we hold on to, like our finances, or whether it's um, things that we're scared to do, like share our faith, or take a risk, or connect with someone that maybe is way different than us, or maybe it's someone that really we don't even like, if we were honest. God, I thank you that you give us hope and you give us help in your word, so that we wouldn't be dead, 
so that we'd be alive. God, I pray that these cards, um, that this offering, God, even the ones that are blank, God, that you'd work in each person's life that says, I'm going to respond to you. So I pray that we would take a moment of silence and ask you to have your way in our lives. Because you're the only one who brings dead things back to life. Amen.